Today, we begin a three-part series of messages for the next consecutive weeks, including today, of a sermon series that I've entitled, Blessed Assurance. It is one that I've wanted to do for a long time, and I pray that as we go through this journey together, that our hearts will be warmed in confidence in the surety of salvation that we can find in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath. It's the first Sabbath of the new year, 2017, 2016, sealed. It's already transpired. There's nothing that we can do about the past. As we look into the future, Perhaps there are some here that are dealing with anxiety, fears, uncertainty. We pray that you would bless us with your peace that passes all understanding. Father, I come to you today. My lips are made of clay. And Lord, as I, with my human frailty, endeavor to deliver this message that I believe is so critical to the Christian experience, I pray that you would hide me behind you, that I would get out of the way, that Jesus would be uplifted, and Christ would be seen. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In our community of faith, we have a whole generation of members that are recovering from what I call spiritual abuse. We have a whole generation of individuals in our community, members, attendees, people that have been Seventh-day Adventists, a long time, that are recovering from spiritual abuse tied directly to legalism. And the fallout of this psyche and this just dealing with the burden of trying to work our way to heaven, trying to merit salvation through good things, but endeavoring to use those things to feel good enough to be accepted by Jesus, there are these lingering questions that arise in the consciousness of many individuals that are a part of our community. Questions like, am I good enough? Questions like, do I measure up? Questions like, have I done enough? What do I need to do? And there is always this anxiety, this angst that goes something like this. I do not know if I will ever be saved. This is a reality. And I can't help but wonder sometimes in the whole fallout to Desmond Ford, that there are some parts of our community of faith that have reacted so heavily 
that the pendulum has swung to the other extreme of emphasizing certain aspects of the gospel that are important, but to the denial and rejection of other aspects of the gospel. Now, if you noticed our sermon title this morning, it is Blessed Assurance, colon, The Existential Reality of Justification. Now, someone said, what in the world is that? And I apologize for the obtuse nature of that. Sounds like a seminary class. But as I tried to come up with a sermon topic, that was what I came up with, and what existential means, it comes from the root word exist, it not only deals with the thoughts of existence, but the feelings of existence. It has to do with the whole experience. And when we talk about justification, we have done a good job talking about the theory of justification, this transcendent reality, the theology from above, which we should process and understand. Please don't misunderstand me. Justification by faith. But we have not done a good job of addressing what the existential reality of what that means. What is the experience, the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, the, the, the framework of someone that is justified? What are they going through? What is their frame of reference and what are they processing? So this morning, my humble attempt is to not only talk about what justification is, the theology from above, but I also want to talk about the theology from below. What does that do to our experience? And how does that relate to the notion of assurance and trusting in Jesus while at the same time recognizing our fallenness and our insufficiency? There's a tension in this. Now, I want to point out from the very beginning that I believe in justification, sanctification, and glorification. Our message today is an emphasis on justification. Please do not misunderstand me. I don't want anyone coming out of here and saying, Pastor Shin does not believe in sanctification. Uh, I believe in sanctification. I have preached sermons on sanctification. Please don't misunderstand me. But I have been in communities of faith where I have heard sermon after sermon after sermon on sanctification, and I have not heard one sermon on justification. And that is wrong. Because what we're doing is we're setting up something that we need to be without providing the solution and the hope. We're leaving people hopeless. So today, I want to emphasize justification. Now, in the future, we'll talk about sanctification and how that relates. But today, let us just engage in this conversation. Immerse ourselves in the beauty of justification, what that means from a theological perspective and what that means for us existentially, experientially. What is justification? We throw out these terms all the time. The word justify is found in Scripture. Now, here are some synonyms 
pardon, forgiveness. Some people say it is the imputed righteousness of Christ. What Jesus does for you. The objective gospel, Christ's robe of covering, God's declaration. These are what theologians have used as a synonym for the term justification or to justify. Here's a text from Scripture, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Justification is related to the robe, to the covering that God gives to us. When a baby comes to us, or a child comes to us that is dirty and naked, what is the first response to address the situation? First, you cover the child to deal with the immediate nakedness, and then as you have opportunity, what do you do? You give the child a bath. You cover and you cleanse. When we come to Jesus, we come just the way that we are. We come naked, wretched, and defiled. God covers us with His robe. That is justification. Then He brings us through a process called sanctification, the process of cleansing and making us more like Jesus. I want to point out that this notion of covering is the first thing that you do when a child comes to you naked and dirty. And that is exactly the metaphor that the Bible uses as his robe of righteousness. Now, I want us to process and understand this. When that covering comes upon us, there is nothing within us that is righteous. It is a covering totally outside of us. Martin Luther says it is an alien righteousness. It is unmerited, unfavored. It is something that God gives to us. He places this robe over us, and the next thing that he does after he places his robe on us, this is a beautiful aspect of justification. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 2 from the Young's literal translation, having been declared righteous then by faith. This is the beauty of the gospel. We come to Jesus just the way that we are, sinful, fallen, defiled, and He takes His robe and covers us. And in covering us, we are declared righteous. Just like that. We haven't done anything. God this is God's objective act. He covers us with His robe of righteousness, and we are declared righteous. Which means, when I accept Jesus as my personal Savior, and I say, Lord, come into my heart, I accept you as Savior, that in that moment, you are justified. You are covered with His robe of righteousness. 
and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. No questions asked. Instantaneously. Justified. And when God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you stand before Him as though you have never sinned. That's what the Bible teaches. You are justified by faith. Faith I live by, page 112, having made us righteous through the imputed righteousness of Christ, God pronounces us just. Moving on, our high calling, page 51, the sinner's defects are covered by the perfection and fullness of the Lord our righteousness. Notice the phrase, the perfection of whom? The Lord, our righteousness. It is not anything that we have done. It is all His righteousness. It is His robe that covers us. Moving on, Steps of Christ, page 52. Jesus loves to have us come to Him just as we are, sinful, helpless, dependent. We may come to Him with all our weakness, our folly, our sinfulness, and fall at His feet in penitence. It is His glory to encircle us in the arms of His love. Just as we are, come to Him, sinful, defiled, and say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of grace. He justifies you. He puts His robe on you. It is alien to us. It has nothing to do with who we are. We are covered. And in that covering, before we go through the process of sanctification. All right, now there is an overlap there, so please don't misunderstand me. Don't corner in the, me in the lobby and say, oh, you're totally distinguishing between justification and sanctification. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that justification precedes sanctification, and in the moment that you're justified, you are declared righteous, irregardless of your state prior to that act. You are declared righteous. Faith I live by, page 111, what is justification by faith? Listen to this. It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the what? In the dust. And doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. When men see their own nothingness, they are prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Justification, the work of God, laying the glory of man in the dust, covering us with his robe. Justification, the act of God in covering us, the objective gospel, declaring us righteous. That is what the imputed righteousness of Christ is. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what justification is not. Sometimes you can better understand something by what it is not. Justification is not based on human merit. Meaning, 
Justification is not based on anything that you can do or be. There is nothing that you can do that can earn justification. It is not based on any human merit. You cannot earn this. It is a gift. If someone gives you a gift and you try to pay for it, the person can become offended because it no longer is a gift. The very definition of a gift is that there is nothing that you can do to pay for it. It is given. If my mom gave me something and said, I want to pay for it, she would be deeply offended. Then what are you doing? Why are you trying to pay for this? I'm giving it to you. That is the definition of a gift. You cannot earn it. It is given. We know this according to Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift of God, not based on human merit. I saw a documentary. It was called The Corridor to Heaven. It followed a group of pilgrims that were on this extensive march, if you could call it that, through a pass in the Himalayan mountains. And this journey, this pilgrimage, was grueling because they would take six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, and on the sixth step, they would go into a full prostrate position as you see there on the screen. They would get up again, take six steps, go into a full prostration, and this would go on over and over again. One, two, three, four, five, six, full prostration, and you can see that he's got these clogs on his hands or her hands, and you can see, you can't see, but they wear these leather aprons And this prevents them from rubbing their skin to the bone after the repetition of the six steps and prostration. And the documentary would follow them in this journey, and they would go for 1,000 miles to the capital of Tibet. Their faces would be blackened from the dust. They would follow them up these narrow passes through the Himalayans, these winding roads, six steps prostration, six steps prostration, six miles a day, over 1,200 miles. It took half a year for them to complete this journey. Why did they do this? Because this was about merit. It was about doing something to earn something. And I believe that there are individuals in our community of faith that are in an existential, anguished experience. Because they may not be going through this physically, but there are individuals that are going through this spiritually. 
oh, if I can just do enough, if I can just be enough, if I can perhaps do a little bit more, perhaps I can earn my salvation. And there is this funny idea floating out there that Seventh-day Adventists believe in justification by faith plus a little bit of works. You ever heard that before? And, and there's this interesting idea that Ellen White believes in righteousness by faith plus a little bit works too. I want to show you some quotations from the pen of inspiration. Very clear and straightforward statements about merit and justification. There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. Let me go on. If you would gather together everything that is good and holy and noble and lovely in man and then present the subject to the angels of God as acting a part in the salvation of the human soul or in merit, the proposition would be rejected as treason. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift of God is a precious thought. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented, for he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken. If he can control minds so that doubt and unbelief and darkness shall compose the experience of those who claim to be the children of God, he can overcome them with temptation. On the screen, I have a picture in Rome of Pilate's staircase. You can see individuals there that are kneeling as they ascend the, the staircase. This is reputed to be the exact same staircase that was there at the trial of Jesus. Back in the 16th century, a monk from Wittenberg was on this very same staircase, ascending it in this paradigm of works, meriting something, contributing to salvation. And as he was there, in the anguish of soul, trying to do enough, trying to be enough to earn his salvation, he heard in his consciousness the words, the just shall live by faith. And the Protestant Reformation was born. The rediscovery of the revolutionary notion that nothing we do can merit our salvation. I believe that in the theological pendulum swings within our own community of faith, that in reacting, some have swung the pendulum to an Adventist version of Catholicism. Catholicism contends that through the sacraments there is merit in sanctification. The Adventist version of Catholicism has replaced 
the sacraments with an Adventist version. Righteousness by veganism. Righteousness by health reform. Righteousness through dress reform. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I'm all about health. I'm all about modesty. There's a difference between doing those things because we love Jesus and doing those things because we want to earn our salvation. It is a very different paradigm. We are not vegans to be saved. Please don't misunderstand me. I have been in communities all right, where I am eating something and everyone, it seems, is watching my plate to see what I put on it. Is he going to eat that cheese? <gasps> oh, my. I mean, don't, don't misunderstand me. I am not talking about the health message, but there is a certain posture, a certain frame where individuals have used these elements that are good and twisted them to a meritorious paradigm. So if someone is vegan and another person is not, they look at that person and they say, huh? I wish that all men were like me. <laughs> a judgmentalism. I'm modest, they're not. I pay my tithe, they don't. Please don't misunderstand me. Continue to give. I mean, I'm not saying that. Don't run off to the conference. I'm going to have Quentin Purvis calling me. I heard that you said we should not give tithe. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to be without a pastor very soon if you do that. I'm talking about merit. I'm talking about trying to earn our salvation because look, if we are in that frame, the natural outgrowth of that is a very critical and toxic spirit because we assume that we are more sanctified, we have more merit, and we look down on others that are not as sanctified. It's a disease. And justification answers with a thunderous note. Nothing you do merits anything. That notion, according to what we just read from the Spirit of Prophecy, is treason. Now, I'm not saying works don't have a proper place. I'm going to fit in all of that. You know, nowadays when you make a theological comment, you have to have all these footnotes underneath in the fine print. But let us let justification stand alone for once. Nothing you do merits anything in salvation. Nothing. It is God's glory to cover you. No questions asked. Hallelujah. Justification by faith is not based on any human merit. The other thing that justification is not, justification is not based on the way that I feel. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we don't have emotions in the Christian experience. We should. We do. But the absence of emotion in the Christian experience does not equate 
a change in God's view of us. Please understand me. Look, emotions come and go. I'll be honest, some days I get up, I have morning devotions, and I feel like I've just come down from glory. I feel like I've just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. Woo! Inspiration. Hallelujah. You know, you just descend. Wow, everything is beautiful. The birds are singing. The sun seems to be out this time of year. I mean, it's just wonderful. Oh, just going through it. And then other days I wake up, and I'm like, woe is me. What has happened? I don't feel like I did the day before. And some people get into an emotional-based paradigm of justification. Oh, that must mean that God has changed his view of me. Not at all. Look, it may just be that you stayed up too late the night before, ate too much pickles, peanut butter, pizza. All right? There may be a physiological reason. Feelings come and go. They are not related. God's view of us is not based on the way that we feel. Our feelings are not an indicator of how God views us. Justification is not based on our emotions. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, The just shall live by faith. Praise God, he didn't say by feeling. would be a mess. On the screen I have a picture of a recovery of a wreckage that happened in the Atlantic Ocean. On May 31, 2009, Air France Flight 447 from Rio to Paris crashed into the Atlantic Ocean, killing all 228 people on board. Tragic accident. It took two years to recover the black box. When they recovered the black box, it was an eerie just experience to read the transcript of the last and final moments on that flight, 447. There were a myriad of factors that contributed to this crash, but the most pivotal moment, what led to this plane literally falling from the sky into the Atlantic Ocean, killing all 228 individuals, was that the plane went into what we call a stall. Now, I'm not going to pretend up here with all these pilots in Alaska knowing how to fly to know anything about physics and what causes something to stall, so I'm going to read something from an authority here. <laughs> this is what a stall is, according to what I read. As the angle of attack increases, that means the pitch of the attack of the plane, the angle, so does lift efficiency but only up to the point where the angle becomes so steep and the oncoming air can no longer flow smoothly over the tops of the wings. At that point, the plane stalls. The phenomenon is characteristic of all airplanes and has nothing to do with the engines. When an airplane stalls, it loses lift, and its wings begin to plow through the air with enormous drag, far greater than engine thrust can overcome. The plane enters a deep, mushing 
nose-high descent, which means the plane is like this. All right? And this, a certain angle is needed for lift to take place. But if you increase the pitch too much, then the air is not over, able to flow over the wings and create lift. And what happens at that point is the plane literally falls from the sky in that position. What happened on flight 447 was at a certain point they were in a storm so they had to shift from autopilot to flying the plane manually. And as they were flying the plane, the inexperienced pilot who was at the at the helm there, well, I don't know what you call it, but in, in control of the plane, the, uh, because the, the senior officer was back there sleeping, he was there, and he continued to raise the nose up and keep the ascent going. The, the computer would echo back to him and say that he was climbing too steeply, and rather than putting the nose down, which would have solved the problem, he increased the pitch even more. When you read the transcript, I read three distinct times when the computer would tell him that he needed to put the pitch down. He would bring it back up. So the angle continued to increase. The plane went into a full stall and literally fell out of the sky. And in the analysis I read of Flight 447, what happened was the instruments were telling him that he was climbing, but he didn't believe it. He felt like his nose was down, so he pulled it up. In other words, he was flying the plane by feel rather than trusting his instruments. And friends, we cannot navigate our Christian experience based on our emotions. We need to trust something more stable, more sure. Our high calling again, faith is not a happy flight of feeling. It is simply taking God at His word believing that he will fulfill his promises because he said he would. In other words, read it. Say, Lord, I don't feel it, but I choose to trust that you have a certain vision of me. Our high calling, feeling and faith, are as distinct from each other as the east is from the west. Faith is not dependent on feeling. Daily, we should dedicate ourselves to God and believe that Christ understands and accepts the sacrifice without examining ourselves to see if we have the degree of feeling that we should correspond to our faith. If my justification is not based on merit, if my justification is not based on feeling, what is the ground of my experience? What is the existential ground? through the turbulence of life that we can have, this surety, the reality of justification, the existential reality of justification is grounded in God's vision of you and of me. In other words, 
It is choosing to believe that God's vision of me is what he says it is. That is the existential reality. Here it is, from Faith I Live By, page 113. What is God's vision of us? Those who accept Christ are looked upon by God, not as they are in Adam, but as they are in Jesus Christ. As the sons and daughters of God, we are not to be what? This is the existential reality. We're not to go around anxious, wondering if I'm justified or not justified, wondering if I'm doing enough or being enough. That is an anxious existential reality. We are not to be anxious. And what is the ground of this peace? The ground of this peace is we are not to be anxious about what Christ and God think of us, but what God thinks of Christ. This is justification. The reality that when God looks at you and looks at me, when he looks at David Shin, he does not see David Shin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And the existential reality is not anxiety because the hope is not in my view of myself, but in God's view of me. And I can trust in that reality, although I can see my failings, I can see my faults, I can see my struggles. I don't have to be delusional in that reality, but it is safe because God has covered me and declared me righteous, and He sees me, and He says, My son, David Shin." With the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you are righteous. An alien righteousness, totally outside of us. It's a gift. My grandfather, when I was going through seminary, as a struggling student, trying to pinch my pennies, because I switched from a professional degree that was sponsored and subsidized by the North American Division to an academic degree, paying almost $700 a credit hour. It's like 1000 now. And as I'm struggling along, like clockwork, every time I needed financial assistance, I didn't ask for it, he gave it thousands of dollars over and over and over again. I didn't earn it. I didn't merit it. I didn't do anything for it. My grandfather gave it over and over and over again. And I want to tell you, that did something to me. It elicited an, an organic, real response. There's not anything my grandfather would ask me to this day that I would not do for him. Because I want to earn his trust? Because I want to earn his love? No, because he has done something for me over and over and over again that elicits a response. Justification is God's view of us.
Sanctification is our view of God. It's our response. It changes everything. And so we don't do, we don't be, because it measures up to anything, because it merits anything, because it counts for anything. We respond because we love Jesus. We respond because of justification. Something so undeserved, something so unmerited, something so full of grace that it touches us to our very soul. And we say, Lord, anything you want me to do, I'll do it. Let's stand together as we prepare to close. I'm wondering if there's someone here today and you have been impacted by legalism. I would be naive to assume that there's someone not here that has been deeply affected by the ravages of legalism. You've struggled with assurance. You've struggled with anxiety. You've, you've struggled, like Martin Luther, wondering if you're good, uh, good enough, wondering if you're going to measure up, wondering if you're going to be enough. Perhaps you've gotten discouraged and given up hope. Perhaps you're still on that wheel trying to earn, trying to measure up. And today you want to say, Lord, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of... <laughs> these fig leaves that I'm trying to measure up, trying to cover myself. And today you want to say, Lord, give me your robe. I accept this covering I, I don't deserve it. But I accept it. Is there someone here that wants to say, Lord, I want to be covered by His righteousness and be assured in that reality? I want to invite you to slip out and come down to the front. I'm coming right now. I need grace. You want to say, Lord, cover me. Jesus is calling you. Jesus has His robe ready to cover you. And coming forward is just a symbol of that reality. It's a physical response that correlates to a spiritual one. And you want to say, Lord Jesus, not by works that I have done, but according to Your mercy, You save us. And you want to say, Lord, please, we don't even have to say, we don't have to beg. We can just say, Lord, you know my heart today. The Holy Spirit can articulate for us words that we can't even say.
The Lord knows our heart. And you want to say, Lord Jesus, today, cover me. Is my earnest plea. Cover me with your robe of righteousness. Not based on who I am. Not based on anything I can do. Not based on my feeling, but based in the reality of God's vision of me. Not what I think of myself, but what God sees when He sees me. He sees Jesus Christ. And we embrace that. And we say, Lord, thank You. Cover me today. Heal me from the ravages of legalism. Heal me from the ravages of trying to work my way to heaven. Restore and cover. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have covered us. We thank you that you have covered every person that's come forward morning we thank you for those that in the quietness of their heart that have not come forward but have accepted you are covered oh Lord Jesus we thank you for who you are we thank you that you do for us what we're incapable of doing on our own. We thank you for this covering and for this declaration that we are righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. Bless us this day. We pray that no one will steal this assurance and steal this vision of this heavenly reality. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org